Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. There may be no more well-known household name in North Carolina during this public health crisis than the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Dr. Mandy Cohen. She appears at least every day alongside the governor of North Carolina, but is also often quoted and is the point person when it comes to dealing with COVID-19 in North Carolina. In a moment, she joins us for an special executive profile. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Dr. Mandy Cohen, Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. So welcome again to our program. Joining us now uh, at a safe distance, I might add, from looks like the command center is Dr. Mandy Cohen, the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services in the Old North State. Dr. Cohen, welcome to the program. And I'm assuming that is a command center of sorts. Is that not? That's right. That's right. Good to be on. And not, yes, I'm at our North Carolina's Emergency Operations Center. You can see, though, largely we're trying to be a virtual operation. I am here uh, with very few members of my senior team. Dr. Cohen, I almost don't know where to start, and I know your days are long and they run together and the weeks are long, et cetera, et cetera, but now North Carolina is a week into what Governor Cooper called phase one, a very orderly, thoughtful way to start to deploy us to get back into some type of normal rhythm. Is there a, is there a real concern for you that we're going to try to get back to normal too quickly? Well, look, this is such an unprecedented time, and we are learning more every day, both about the virus and what types of actions we need to take that influence the spread of the virus. Every state and every region slightly different. Um, we've been largely successful in North Carolina and South Carolina as well at seeing pretty low levels of viral spread. That's a good thing. Um, the Governor Cooper took early action to sort of you know, have us go to stay at home. We did not see a peak or a surge at any point. We really plateaued. And that's why we feel comfortable moving into this first phase. Things are largely stable, but I will say they're not perfect. We still see our day over day case counts 
uh, slightly increasing. And we were very transparent about that. We've, we've shared the metrics that, that we look at every single day. We put up on, on our bat dashboard. People can follow along with us because this is hard. And, and in any part of this, when you're making hard decisions, we want at least people to understand our decision making um, and how we're thinking about it. So we feel like our trends are stable. Um, but I think your question is right. Do we worry that as we move forward to a phase one and it is a modest mm -hmm. step forward, where we're trying to go to what I would call lower risk activities at first. So things where you're either outdoors or you're indoors, but you're walking around, right? Because we know this virus gets transmitted when you are in close contact for a prolonged period of time. So that likely means when you're sitting with someone or being with someone for more than 10 minutes and within six feet. So those are the kinds of activities that we wanted to say, you know what, let's, let's keep that to be a phase two activity. On phase one, let's focus on things that are lower risk of transmission of virus while we get used to things like wearing a face covering, mm -hmm. right? That's a hugely new thing for all of us to do. Washing our hands frequently and then just being physically apart six feet. While, so we wanted to take this first phase to basically practice and learn those three W's, the, the wear, weight, wash that we've been talking about. Um, because that look, the virus is with us. It's going to be with us. We're going to have to do these new things to keep the virus level uh, spread low. And then when we get a little more acclimated to this, I'm, I'm very hopeful that our uh, trends can stay stable. And then we can move into those phase two. So we can go back to restaurants have in, you know, in dining, we go back to salons, um, we can those kinds of activities that are slightly higher risk sit down kinds of activities, we can do that in the next next phase. Dr. Cohen, the, the broad media has standardized the phrase flattening the curve. We all talk about flattening the curve, making sure it you talked about it a little bit here. When you, when you advise the governor in North Carolina, when you talk to the CDC, when you talk to the White House, when you talk to your contemporaries in other states, is it all about the curve? Is it all about the graph? Is that what drives policy and advice? It's never one metric. So when we talk about the curve, we're likely to all speaking about day over day, new case counts. And are they going up? Are they stable? Where are they going? But it's not just about that, right? Because we also want less people to get sick at the same time so we don't overwhelm our healthcare systems, right? Because if someone gets sick, we want them to have oxygen at the hospital available for them or a ventilator if they would need it. So I think it's a combination of both our, what are we seeing on the case counts? What is our capacity in our healthcare system? And then what is our ability to do things like testing in, in a very widespread way. And I will say in North Carolina, we're only part of the way there. I think there's a lot more work that we are working very, very quickly on to get us to a level of testing where we can quickly identify people, make sure that they can isolate if they do have the virus. So it isn't just the curve, though the curve drives, drives a lot, but it's not just the curve, it's some of these other capabilities. And I will say we also try to look at early warning data we have a surveillance system where, where even before you get a test for COVID-19, you might just come in with symptoms. And we try to say, hey, are more people coming in with symptoms that give us a sense of what's happening here? So it's really not one thing, but that curve is, is a, a very important part of, of what we look at. You know, the, trying to learn and on the job, on the fly, learning 
how to apply new public policy, how to lead, how to say the right thing to the governor, how to do the right thing in, in, in the public, et cetera, et cetera. Would all of this, it's a little bit simplistic, Madam Secretary, but would all of this change if there were a vaccine? Would all of a sudden we not worry about the morbidity and we could get back to normal or is that, is that just too simple to say? Uh, no, I think that that's right. If we had a vaccine, I think we'd be in a very, very different circumstance in even a treatment. So if there was a reliable treatment that was available wide, wide scale, um, like flu has a treatment, right? We're able to give Tamiflu. Um, so there's both a treatment and a vaccine. I do think we would be in a completely different scenario, which is why when I think about our planning overall, I'm thinking that, that we're, we're looking at a period of time that this virus is gonna be with us until we either see a reliable treatment or a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're not there yet. And that's why we have to put in some of these more you know, very basic, like we don't have the tool, you know, the, 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 the pharmacy uh, or the, the medication tools. So we have to do some of these basic things like washing your hands and staying apart. I know it feels really basic, but those are the tools that we have until um, our scientists uh, are able to do therapeutics, um, new medicines or a vaccine. So it would be different. How, how would you, how would you handicap that we, and especially since you got the, we have the entire globe now working on this problem. Yeah. And so, yeah. Some some hard stops have been taken out to not shortcut, but to 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 to, to make the development of the vaccine even quicker. Yeah. And I'm thinking about a homegrown one like remdesivir from from UNC, the labs mm -hmm. at UNC. How would you handicap? We're going to have a vaccine yeah. maybe sooner than we expect. So here's the difference. So like remdesivir is a therapeutic. It's a medicine you take once you get sick. And we know that trials for medicines go much quicker, right? Because someone's sick, you give them a medicine and you see if they get better. So you can actually condense that kind of rapid cycle uh, testing pretty quickly and understand that research quickly. Vaccines are really tough. And so I want everyone to be prepared for why vaccines are different and hard. So one of them is thinking about they, say they isolate the RNA, they get it into a vaccine, and they start putting it in humans, you actually have to give it to people and then see what happens over a very long period of time, right? Then you have to have them get exposed and see what, what would happen. It's not the condensed time. So you can there are some ways to do some shortcuts to condense time, but wow, those trials to really understand, is it actually allowing you to prevent getting the virus take a really long time. Um, and, and that's really the long pole in the tent here. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of challenges. I will say I just joined a, com a national conversation to learn from some of the experts who are doing uh, these just yesterday. Um, and, and so it, I, it was sobering, I will say it was sobering. And so I think, I think 12 months to have a vaccine is very optimistic. I think that the prevailing wisdom was closer to 18 months uh, on that conversation until we have a vaccine, both have one and then have it mass produced. Because mm -hmm. the production is also a challenge uh, once so, you even get the vaccine. So as you, as you just described the odds of it, 12 months, and we'll just use that as a frame of reference. In the back of your mind, do you think, okay, our morbidity is a bigger problem than I think or than we think? We're going to have to be more serious about X, Y, or Z when it comes to deploying policy. Well, I think we're already there. I mean, we are operating that this vaccine is not going to be with us for at least a year. 
And that is why we're taking the aggressive action and the slow phased in approach. And this virus is deadly. It is deadly for folks who are over 65 and those with chronic diseases. It is, you know, when people try to make comparisons to other infectious diseases, it just, it doesn't, doesn't hold, right? This is not just a bad flu season. And I want to say that as much, many times as I can. We already have more deaths in North Carolina in this eight week period than we've seen in our worst flu season over six months. And what I would also say is that we, it, it's very apples to oranges flu deaths and how we're counting COVID-19 deaths. Um, but this is not like any flu uh, anyone has ever seen. So this, this is really different, which is why we're taking these very aggressive steps. And I know that these are incredibly, incredibly hard decisions to say close down a business and, and make these huge changes in people's lives. But we wouldn't be doing it if, if, it, you know, if it wasn't in, in, important to save lives. And it is just about that, saving lives and making sure we can have our healthcare system. And we've seen it in other places, right? In Italy or New York, when they got a surge, it gets, it, it's like a fire. You can't k- get your arms around it for, for weeks and months uh, if you don't, if you don't uh, protect yourself right from the beginning as a community. Uh, so that's what we're focused on. So does, so does that make you rethink the idea is where we started this dialogue. Does that make you rethink what you're telling the governor of North Carolina when it comes to, okay, phase one is going to reopen. People will be able to go to a restaurant, but on a patio only. People will able to congregate to some degree at public parks. But as you just described it, those two things stand in opposition to each other. And, and it sounds like your job one is to flatten the curve, to go back to that. Yes, look, this is a balance. So we're right, we, we know that there's, we're gonna have to live with virus, which is why we have different advice for different folks. So while we're saying go, you know, go to the park or go shop for clothes this, you know, this weekend in, in, in phase one. Mm-hmm. If you're over 65 or you're, you know, 50 and you're fighting off cancer, you need to think about your own personal risk, right? Because you are at higher risk for contracting the, no, not just contracting the virus, sorry. You're, you're at higher risk if you contract it of getting a bad outcome. So while we have to give guidance to the whole of North Carolina, similar to South Carolina has given the whole of the state, everyone needs to think about themselves and their family. It might not even be you personally. Maybe it's your husband um, or a close, you know, someone in your household that has uh, cancer, has diabetes, has asthma. That may make you say, you know what, I'm not ready for uh, doing some of those things where other, other folks are like, you know what, I'm healthy, I'm young, I could do these things, but I want to be careful so that my friends who, who also need to go out to the supermarket, who also need to go to their, if they're an essential worker, need to go to their job, I want to I protect them, right? Which is, it goes back to the face mask, the washing of the hands and the staying apart. Because the less we spread, even amongst the people who are at low risk, the, the better it is for those that are at high risk. Because the more virus we have around, it's just risk for, for everyone, including the high-risk folks. And we know the high-risk folks can't stay in their house forever, right? They, there are essential workers, potentially. They, they need to go back and open up their businesses. So we need to protect each other, and that's, that's the way we're approaching this. What, what kind of dialogue have you had with Dr. Anthony Fauci from the CDC regarding some of the things that might not make it to, the, to public briefings or public press conferences? 
Yeah, I've had the opportunity to, to speak with him, uh, the governor and I did. And, you know, he's one uh, in every conversation, a just a genuinely wonderful human being uh, and so clear on being able to articulate the science. And that's what we're all trying to cling to. And he he's the first to admit the science is not perfect here. Um, but we asked him things like North Carolina is different than a Louisiana that had a spike in New Orleans. And so we've seen these sort of stable trends. And I, I said, you know, Dr. Fauci, how should we as a state approach this? Is, is stability uh, okay? Do we need to see decreases? And he's like, and he said, that is an excellent question. That is very hard. The data is not clear. <laughs> and I was appreciative because look, you got to be honest when the data is not there. He's like, I, I, you know, in your circumstance, stability can be okay. We still want to see those trends going down. Like that's where he is. He wants to see trends going down. Um, I asked him about large gatherings and he, he reiterated the science, like when you are close together with a lot of people, there's a lot of risk there. So those are the kinds of things you're going to want to put off to, to much later phases of, of, of a, an easing of restrictions. So those, that's the kind of guidance uh, that, that he's given. I think it's very similar to what he's been saying at the podium. So I don't want to say it's, we're having any yeah. sidebar conversations that are really different. Yeah. No, I, no, I hear that. I think, uh, in personal opinion, I think your training as a, as a mother of two young children and a multitasker during the Obama era, uh, changes in healthcare have 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 gotten you to this moment to be ready for it. But even now, as you try to put out public policy fires, try to understand what strategy and tactics should be for a state like North Carolina. What about things that may be not so overt, like mental health? And I'm not just talking about the mental health system, Dr. Dr. Cohen, as we've known it, but now, do you feel like there's a much broader, broader anxiety level across the population around stress, around mental health, and will that have a longer tail on it? So it's such an important topic, and I'm really glad you brought this up because it, it is true. In any crisis, um, whether it's a downturn in the economy or a hurricane, we see mental health issues get worse. And unfortunately, we've had a lot of practice with that here in North Carolina, particularly the eastern part of North Carolina with hurricanes, um, two major ones while I've been secretary. And you know, unfortunately, we've gotten good at responding to those emergencies when it comes to behavioral health. And so we've been able to stand up crisis counseling and we now also for this uh, crisis and pandemic have done the same thing where we've gotten federal support to make crisis counseling available everywhere in North Carolina. Um, we have two hotlines available, help for our healers. So for our frontline workers, right, it's particularly stressful for the frontline nurses, doctors, but even our grocery store uh, workers or others who we rely on. Uh, so we have, a work, we have a line just for them um, and then a, a separate counseling line for everyone else. You can go to our website at DHHS and you can connect right now with a behavioral health specialist through telehealth. Uh, there's help out there, but it doesn't take away from the fact that these are stressful times. I want to validate that people who already, um, you know, had underlying anxiety or depression, like I, I, we know it's it's worse in these kinds of settings, and so we have to pay attention to it, both from a, a funding perspective, make sure the funding is there, and then the access points to make sure people can access the help they need. And, and if you don't mind me saying, Dr. Cohen, uh, um, how how are you managing it? Do you sleep at night? <laughs> 
Oh, well, that's very kind of you to ask about me. Um, you know, look, this is, this is hard. Um, this is definitely the hardest thing I've done professionally. I mean, I've had busy jobs before, uh, I, both working as a physician, uh, right, life and death in the moment kinds of things, but also busy jobs in, at the federal government. We've been busy here at the state, but this is, this is new, this is next level, um, because it's not just busy, but these are such challenging decisions to make that are impacting every person in our state. And I know they're hard where people are out of work um, and uh, they're excruciating um, and that keeps me up at night. I mean, I, I bear the weight of those and just um, that, that they're really hard, uh, but we're, we have a great team here. We just keep trying to be true to the, to the science and the data. Um, we try to help guide us um, in making our decisions here. So I'm, I'm doing okay. I luckily, I have a wonderful husband who's like taking everything on the home front with our two kids. Uh, our girls are five and eight. Uh, so I have a lot of support at home. Uh, I have a lot of support here at, at work. You can't see them, they're virtual, but I have a great team. Uh, so we're hanging in, but these are hard times uh, all around. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna overlook that. Yeah, you, as you well know, we just have a few minutes left. I wanna to talk to you about the hospitals for a moment, the providers of which that carry a lot of the burden of, of delivering the healthcare. And I know we've all looked at them as heroes, yourself as a hero and, and rightly so. Hospitals, hospitals are under stress from a revenue standpoint. Hospitals are under stress as being kind of ground zero in many ways. Yeah. yeah. What, is, what do hospitals have, it's almost not a fair question, but what do hospitals have to do now to make sure that they remain viable yeah. fiscally, both policy and healthy, and even the rural providers? What, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. One is right, right at the very early part of this where we didn't know what trajectory we were on with our cases. We asked the hospitals to put off uh, things that were not time sensitive um, and, and really be ready for a surge. Luckily in North Carolina, that did not happen. Now hospitals and doctors can be back doing any, any kinds of procedures. And in fact, I wanna make sure if anyone's watching out there, don't put off your healthcare, right? This is the time where you want to be the healthiest. So in case you get COVID-19, you have all of your health and strength to fight it off. So do not put things off. And I think that's part of the recovery for hospitals, right? Is we asked them to, to, to slow some things down to make sure we had capacity. They did it. I'm so appreciative. We have lots of surge plans in place if we need them. Now it's time for everyone to make sure that they're getting the care they need, but they have to do it in a safe way. A lot of infection control um, measures put in. Um, so that's going to be a lot of the way back towards their, their, their fiscal health. Mm -hmm. as well as our community's actual, you know, actual health is getting the prevention care that they need, getting their, their, their cancer treated, getting any surgeries done that they needed, all should, should go back. Um, but we want to continue to use things like telehealth, right? I, I hope that is one of the silver linings of this is that we've moved to a lot of telehealth. How do we keep that going? I think that's an important component of us accessing care more easily uh, across the board. So I'd like to see that continue. Um, but we also know that providers took a huge hit during all of this. There is a, about $175 billion appropriated to help providers from the federal government. We're trying to understand, okay, we know that that's a lot. It sounds like a big number. Once it gets down to everyone, we, we know there's still going to be gaps. So we're trying to work through with the General Assembly, with hospitals and others about 
what do we still need to do at the state level to help them? Um, because there, there are infrastructure. There, there are you said the heroes, the front line. We need them, particularly as we can. We know we know this isn't a some you know a, a one month activity. This is a sustained activity. They're going to need to be in a heightened posture for. So we need to help them financially, and we're working through exactly what does that mean? Because the state, I will you know also I should say financially is obviously going to struggle as well, right? Our revenues coming into the state are much much lower, so the choices are hard. So in a, we have about a minute and a half left, Madam Secretary. The, the idea, just to stay on the hospitals for another minute, yeah. do, do the hospitals, uh, I'm sorry, does the broader health care providing of public health, does that change? And especially in light that North and South Carolina both have not accepted those Medicaid dollars, does that change? How does the delivery of the, of the system change? Yeah. Well, look, I think that North Carolina and South Carolina are not in as strong a position to fight COVID-19, both financially and, and health-wise, because so many of our folks have not had insurance coverage when we could have had it. We could have had federal money coming here, um, at least in North Carolina, no state dollars needed. Um, so I'm going to continue to advocate for Medicaid expansion. Now we have more folks without jobs. That means more folks without insurance. We need more options for people to actually manage their disease. And this is not just about COVID-19. This is about being healthy before you get COVID-19 so you can be strong and healthy to fight it off. So Medicaid expansion, you're going to hear a lot from me about that. Uh, uh, you're going to hear about that from Governor Cooper. I think that this is the moment where, where we have to, I, I get that there, there have been concerns about it in the past, but we're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, historic needs in the healthcare system. We got to move forward with Medicaid. Do Dr. Cohen, uh, we are out of time, but to say that we are grateful for your leadership and for you putting yourself out there 24-7 and what may turn into 365 is probably an understatement, but, but thank you for your leadership. My pleasure. And thank you so much, Chris, for having me on. Appreciate it. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.